0: You are listening to AI Ready Healthcare. I'm Anirban Mukhopadhyay, your host from Thieu Darmstadt, Germany. The purpose of AI Ready Healthcare is to connect the advanced technological knowledge of Mekai society to different stakeholders, such as clinicians, industry personnel, regulatory personnel, to name a few. You can expect Deep meaningful conversations about bringing AI into the real clinical routine. Opinion belongs to whoever said it. Anything said here is not medical advice. Together let's make healthcare AI ready. His soul stretched tight across the skies that fade behind a city block or trampled by insistent feet at four and five and six o'clock and short square fingers stuffing pipes and evening newspapers and eyes assured of certain certainties. The conscience of a blackened street impatient to assume the world. I am moved by fancies that are curled around these images and cling the notion of some infinitely gentle, infinitely suffering thing. Wipe your hand across your mouth and laugh. The worlds revolve like ancient women gathering fuel in vacant lots. You are listening to Preludes 4. By T.S. Eliot. In today's episode of AI Ready Healthcare, I talked with Ishmini Lorenzu about her work on chest image gnome, where they developed an entire database of scene graphs on top of chest x ray images. Welcome to the fifth season of IREADY Healthcare. I'm your host, Anirbun, together with my co-host, Henry. It is a pleasure to welcome our guest for today, Ismini Lorenzo. Ismini is an assistant professor of computer science at Virginia Tech. She also worked as a research scientist at IBM Almaden Research Center. Ismini focuses on machine learning, natural language processing, information retrieval with healthcare quite central in her uh, application domains. So we will discuss with Ismini her paper. The paper name is CHEST Image Genome Dataset for Clinical Reasoning. This is a paper that's published in NeurIPS 21. Within the data set and benchmarks track, we will put the link to the paper in the, in our uh, podcast description so that all the listeners can follow it, read it. Highly recommended, very, very interesting paper. But first and foremost, welcome to the podcast, Ismini.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It's exciting to be in the podcast. So thank you for the invitation.
2: Hi, Ismini, and welcome to the podcast also from my side. It's a great pleasure to have you here today, and I'm really looking forward to uh, discussing your paper, which is really, really interesting. So um, yeah, let's just get started with the very first question, which is kind of the tradition in our podcast, uh, which is about a quick introduction uh, from our guests. So can you give us a quick introduction about yourself and about your becoming as a researcher and your path through industrial research to academic research at Virginia Tech?
1: So my first uh, degree was in uh, business administration, and I had uh, started uh, working in the banking sector for almost a decade. Then I transitioned to computer science because I was looking for something more creative uh, and I learned about uh, AI and uh, machine learning. So I extended my research from the undergraduate degree to a PhD, and uh, worked in the industry like IBM research for a while, working on uh, natural language processing problems information retrieval. And now I am an assistant professor of computer science at uh, Virginia Tech, where I work on multimodal machine learning. So going from just uh, natural language processing to combining different modalities such as vision, audio, and language.
0: Yeah, That's really wonderful. So I guess this is really becoming more of a theme in our podcast of how the transition works. The more typical transition is from academia to industry, where most of our guests get their PhD and then move to the industry. You took the journey the other way. So I guess one thing you mentioned right now that you wanted a bit more creativity, creative freedom, I guess. So did you get it?
1: Yes, yes, I have a lot of freedom to. First of all, there there is also the mentoring uh, for students, and I I think that's the most important thing in my work. That uh, I get to teach students, I get to advise students. Of course, IBM Research has these opportunities, but they're typically during the summer. So I feel that uh, there isn't a really a big difference between industry and academia, except the how much time you spent with students at least in my in my
0: view yeah that's really a great thing that you are so much interested in mentoring students bringing the next generation of scientists forward so yeah that brings us of course to the work that i saw contains also like a big list of co-authors and many of them are coming from the IBM research as well And this is a work that's published in NeurIPS. So that's a very, very highly prestigious conference. Most of our listeners, I guess, are familiar with it. And it's also great to see that NeurIPS is publishing medical imaging papers because traditionally it was more of a traditional machine learning, maybe some of the computer vision style work rather than the medical imaging that has its own good, bad, and ugly stuffs. So not everything can be directly transferable here. So from writing this paper, I guess this is about the clinical reasoning and coming up with a very unique new data set. So can you give us a bit of an insight of, let's say, the three major takeaways of this paper for our listeners?
1: First of all, I'd like to thank my collaborators uh, from IBM Research, uh, RPI, MIT Critical Data, uh, Harvard Medical School, and uh, the Albert Einstein Healthcare Network. I think uh, this work was uh, mainly inspired by Joy's work, Joy Wu, and uh, also Mehdi Moradi, that is like the last author, the advisor, essentially. So this, uh, this work has been... Uh, Trying to support more explainable medical imaging research, and uh, we essentially built a sim graph. So, sim graph uh, is a graph that uh, has uh, objects and uh, relations between objects and their attributes, right? And it can support many applications. Uh, for example, visual question answering, uh, visual dialogue. And there hasn't been such kind of dataset for uh, for medical uh, for medical research. So. We hope to expand the dataset, but uh, for now, this dataset supports many anatomically aware tasks. So, for example, localized classification for anatomical findings. There is also multiple abnormality detection, and we also have a temporal comparison between uh, chest x-rays. All of these things have not been available before, so we hope that we can expand to more modalities and also this data set supports more clinically aware explainability.
2: Mm, Yeah, that's, in in my opinion, really interesting because typically uh, the papers that I uh, encounter usually uh, are not really focused on that multimodal point of view, but in my opinion, it's quite essential to have that in diagnosis. So maybe to get a common uh, understanding for ourselves and for our listeners as well. I would especially like to emphasize here the scene graph representation. So can you maybe elaborate on the scene graph and its structure?
1: Yeah, so a scene graph is essentially a graph that represents a scene, like the, uh, the scene in the image. So it uh, connects uh, objects with uh, relations and uh, also it includes attributes for the objects. In a medical uh, example, if you have an object that is a right lung and uh, if it has a test tube in it or not, right? so you get these relations between objects and attributes. So you can ask questions, for example, like uh, uh, where is an attribute? Where an attribute is located? Uh, does a specific object have an attribute? or are two attributes connected to the same anatomical location. So you can do a lot of clinical disease processes. You can model it in a more structured way. And also, it allows to connect images together, right? So you can get information from multiple images describing the same anatomical location.
2: What sort of data sets exactly are these scene graphs generated as a basis?
1: So there is one uh, that I am aware of, the visual genome, that is usually not in a medical domain, and uh, these are usually generated uh, through mechanical Turk, for example, because it's easier for uh, non-medical datasets to hire uh, Turkers and get this information. But when you're dealing with uh, domain expertise, it's much more uh, expensive to collect data. So the difference between visual genome data set in a non-medical domain and ours is that we have a a small data set that is validated for 500 patients, but the rest of the data set is uh, weekly annotated. So we use object detection and natural language processing to automatically construct the data set.
2: Mm, so one thing that makes the paper, of course, very interesting is that uh, this sort of representation is firstly applied on medical data. So can you maybe quickly elaborate on the clinical data that is being used? So the chest x-rays, so what yes. sorts of data sets are you employing here?
1: Yeah, so we use the mimic data set, which has um, chest x-rays like a frontal view. And there are also a radiology report associated with uh, its uh, test x-ray. And there are also patient characteristics available, such as age, gender. Uh, so all of these can be used to construct uh, the graph. So that we used uh, the radiology reports to extract the relations between objects. And then we also use the object detection to locate the specific objects in the image, and then we connect with those through NLP.
0: Nice so one of the, I guess, the core effort, uh, both in terms of the technology as well as in terms of the manual effort, if we can put it that way, went into the annotation because you have these many, many data numbers. I forgot right now the actual number of images, but I, if I remember correctly, it's roughly around 200,000 or more images that you looked into and processed. So that's a really, really big number for a medical data set. But of course, you can't do the syngraph graph generation for each of these images manually. So there has been some level of automation involved there. Can you describe a little bit of the sort of the annotation automation that you had to do, both in terms of the natural language processing as well as the images that you got?
1: So first of all, uh, there are uh, object-to-object relations and object-to-attribute relations. And these are the important things to validate. So first we have uh, uh, object detection that extracts the bounding boxes, like the coordinates for the objects. And then there is a text pipeline that uh, takes the report, uh, the radiology report, and the uh, sections out the uh, clinical history. And then the remaining sentences are used to extract the uh, object to attribute and object to object relations. So then we perform this at the scene level, at the sentence level, and then uh, we have uh, graph JSONs for each of these uh, extraction steps. And then, of course, this is, uh, as I mentioned, weekly annotation, so we have to validate this. So we uh, took a subset of uh, 500 randomly sampled uh, unique patients and uh, we performed the inter-annotator agreement. So essentially validated both the object-to-attribute and object-to-object relations. And we have uh, uh, numbers for the inter-annotator agreement in the paper, but uh, it's uh, actually fairly good.
0: Ah, so... I guess uh, this is really interesting because the validating of such a thing is, I completely agree with you, it's quite difficult. And you actually took the trouble of, I, I think if I can remember, there were about 500 unique patient IDs where you had a manual annotation by clinicians to validate the results or the annotation that you were generating. So can you... Tell us briefly about the manual annotation. So, how did that work? So, first of all, how did you select these 500 cases? What were the sort of like balances there? Are these all typical, uh, healthy, typical disease, pneumonia, pneumothorax? So, that what sort of ratio was there? And then, where did the clinicians start? Did they start at the image level or did they look at somewhere else? So, how, how did that entire process go by?
1: So, I do not remember exactly the, like, uh, we have a table that uh, shows for each of these 500 patients like the bounding box and how many objects or attribute relations, but this is like uh, 29 different attributes and uh, 4.3 million relations in the data set. So, we randomly sampled the patients and then I think we had uh, three medical annotators. So, if uh, if you... The appendix describes the full process, even uh, gives examples of uh, like what the uh, clinicians were looking at, right? Uh, the sentences and the image and how they annotate it. Even there exist uh, Python notebooks that uh, you can replicate the process.
0: Ah, That's wonderful. That's really good to know because I guess many of the other people, they they can build on that work. You also developed, I guess, a complex pipeline to read unstructured radiology reports and convert it into some form of machine-readable format so that you can create these thin graphs later. And that's, I guess, multiple paper that came out before this one on top of which this is built. So can you give us a bit of an insight of the NLP pipeline that you built and what were the most difficult challenges in that pipeline?
1: So the pipeline essentially uh, takes the sentences and tries to extract the entities and their relations. Uh, this is uh, from uh, previous work. Uh, I think there is a paper at Amia from Joy that describes the full pipeline, but uh, we have uh, an internal tool at IBM Research that uh, it's a human in the loop tool. so. There is a visual description of uh, there is a sentence and then you can tag uh, entities and you can tag relations similar to a Brat uh, tool that uh, is um, open sourced and everyone can use. So once you tag the entities, there is a name entity recognition model that uh, learns from these annotations to extract similar entities, and then you can validate it. So you can also build like, relation extraction modules to do the same for relations between the entities.
2: So one thing that is quite common in unstructured reporting is that there is a lot of heterogeneity between the reports and the quality of the reports especially differs. It's also something that we've heard in previous sessions that we, like um, previous podcast sessions that we had with doctors. So uh, I'm wondering whether like, how, how did you deal with that heterogeneity and maybe differences in quality of the reports? Is there some sort of pre-processing, some selection process involved?
1: That's correct. There is uh, some uh, difference between the reports, but uh, we are dealing with uh, one data set, the mimic X-ray dataset. So I think the problem is exaggerated when you're dealing with uh, multiple sources of uh, data And we do hope to extend to other data sets, but I'm not sure if we experience this kind of uh, problems for this specific data set.
2: Okay, so yeah, I was probably a bit biased thinking of the full potential of clinical uh, pitfalls here. So maybe another, another question regarding the data, especially the chest x ray data. If we look at the chest x ray data itself, it looks like we are quite confined with regards to the image space. For example, we only have the um, anterior-posterior view and it's a two-dimensional image with weak annotations. So the information content is, as I said, it's quite confined. So how are you dealing with that?
1: That's correct. And another thing that we would like to extend. So we had extended uh, uh, the MIMIC dataset with another modality which is eye gaze, uh, tracking eye gaze information from uh radiologist. So someone that uh, reads this uh, just x-ray, where does this uh, clinician attend to and uh, with which uh, temporal order, right? So we have another paper that uh, includes this modality. And in the future, we hope to expand to more uh, data sets. So uh, CT scans and uh, more lab tests. For now, I think this is the first data set that can support uh, temporal relations between chest X-rays. So you're not only looking at uh, one image, but there are um, relations whether uh, the patient has improved or worsened between two sequential exams. So that's another way to include more information in the clinical reasoning process.
0: I see. So that seems quite interesting and at the same time, I guess, quite difficult. So. I was just thinking or uh, sort of what Henry just said, that it's a confined space, you are looking at the 2D projection from one angle so far. So I guess you have these annotations of the organs, right? But the organs are often one occluded by another. Yes. yes. Uh, So how difficult is the annotation in such cases with bounding boxes? Because this is really a different space, like When I think of bounding box based annotation, I think of natural scenes or human created scenes where we have these really functional, functionally separate objects like a car or inside like a bed. But that's not the case for human body. So how did that work out in this work?
1: That's correct. We have a lot of uh, bounding boxes for a very condensed area, I would say. But uh, so you could think of uh, some of the objects being uh, partially observable the same way that you would have in an image uh, some objects being partially observable, right? But this problem extends uh, even uh, beyond the uh, medical datasets because you may have a lot of things in a scene that uh, they may produce a sound, but they're not available in the scene, right? So the same way is for a medical datasets. So you, uh, if you're included to only like the frontal view, there may be a lot of uh, small uh, objects Uh, like really fine grained relations that we cannot uh, capture so we hope to extend to like multiple views of the patient like a CT scan or something that is more high dimensional in the future but there's also like many other things that we hope to do in the future for this data set so yeah
0: yeah that's really exciting uh, uh, direction this is really the start of it but at the same time, I mean, this work plus the work, I guess you just mentioned about the eye, eye gaze on the images of the radiologists and the temporal. So it seems like you already put a significant amount of work into this direction, these sets of projects that you are building together with uh, your clinical partners and IBM and all. So I'm sure you have some... Uh, enabling applications in mind, because these are just like, I guess, mean to an end. You have some future directions. So can you give us some insights of what are your visions? Where could these be most beneficial?
1: First of all, we have uh, explainability as a major goal in our uh, minds, because so far there has been a lot of work for uh, text generation, like structure reports from images in the test X-ray domain. But uh, we see that uh, a lot of the report contains uh, comparison-related language. So there has been uh, some work showing that, you know, despite that uh, the model is looking at one image, it actually uh, generates, uh, like, language that uh, compares two images. So then uh, there is a trust uh, issue with these models, whether they actually have a rigorous localization assessment, right? Because... uh, do they actually attempt to relevant anatomical locations for their predictions? So the first thing that we're looking into is uh, how do you uh, increase explainability and trust between the clinicians and the model. Then the second one is uh, similar to large uh, uh, graph, sim graph data sets that they have uh, enabled research in uh, visual answering and visual dialogue. Right? So there is a uh, a whole field of uh, interactive AI algorithms that they can reason from multiple sources, and we're hoping that we can build more uh, location, relation, and anatomically aware systems for medical risks as well, because that way we can support clinicians. So we can, they can interactively question the, the trained models, they can assess uh, the consistency of the predictions, but also help retrieve information from multiple datasets or from other patients and uh, more efficiently.
2: Um, actually regarding uh, future directions and especially the eye gazing, uh, one thing that I was wondering about is whether uh, you also thought about addressing the, the human in the loop perspective. If we, for example, uh, want to distinguish between raters, like between radiologists who are more experienced and those who are less experienced, I think that could also reflect in the eye motion or the eye tracking, as well as the cognitive aspect. For example, if uh, the radiologist is extremely tired, then the eye motion might be quite different. So uh, what would be your thoughts on that?
1: Yes, there have been some uh, related works in uh, other domains. So, For example, like autonomous vehicles right, and uh, driving behaviors. So we're we seriously considering expanding this work to uh, like, how do we include ideas as another modality that helps us understand the exactly the, the behavior of the clinician? Like, is, it, is the clinician tired? Uh, uh, where are they looking for information? Can we model this and uh, help the model also attend to these locations? So, and, and of course, the cognitive aspects of the work is uh, like beyond my limits, but uh, hopefully, I will get more interested in this kind of work and. Uh, there will be a development of uh, more cognitively aware prediction models. Definitely would lead me into that.
2: Very nice. Yeah, that's actually a very, very nice perspective. So regarding your research in general at Virginia Tech, where do you think it will be heading in the next few years?
1: So um, considering uh, with my collaborators like Joy and Medhi to expand the work in the Leo and Angel to expand the work to offer medical imaging to visual question answering. So that's one uh, research direction of my lab. And then um, I'm interested in essentially building AI models and agents that uh, augment uh, human intelligence, especially for domain specific applications such as the medical domain and healthcare in general. So in the future, I'm hoping to expand to uh, more multimodal uh, multimodal machine learning, uh, how to better fuse modalities, and also uh, learning with uh, limited data. So self supervision, uh, robustness, generalization, are the focus of my work for now. But yes, everything that combines modalities, but also requires less amount of data to work.
0: Yeah, that's really wonderful, I guess. We will see more papers from your group in the Mikai conferences in the coming years. So that would be a great addition, I guess, because there are not many who can combine natural language processing and the imaging. And that's really where we can hope that these big radiology data sets with reports can be significantly beneficial. We often ask the sort of the last question is also somewhat of a tradition that we ask that Imagine that for the next five years, you have infinite amount of resources in terms of grant, in terms of the students that you have, and you don't have to worry about teaching, etc. all these, and you can focus on one question alone. If that's the hypothetical situation, what would be that one question that you would like to answer in the next five years? So,
1: yes, that's a great question, actually. So if I had an infinite amount of resources, I would probably think about how to make uh, AI agents uh, to uh, learn similarly to us uh, humans do, especially for these highly specialized domains. So how can we enable agents with an egocentric view of the world and also uh, multiple sensory modalities and being able to reason but also taking into account the temporal aspect, right? So there is the, your you reason for something, but you have uh, previously taken many steps along the process. So how can we make agents uh, envision the future and also take into account the past?
0: Wonderful. So thank you so much. It's really, I guess, a brave vision, and I hope you all the best. I'm sure you will find enough resources to pursue the direction that you just talked about. Um, Yeah, and on that note, thank you so much for your time, Ismin. It was really wonderful that you wrote not only just this paper, but you are building this entire direction, which will be beneficial to the medical imaging and healthcare community in general. So thank you so much for your time and effort.
1: Thank you for inviting me. It was a great uh, time to discuss about the work. And I hope I will see you again soon at Mikai probably.
0: Absolutely. Have a nice day.
1: Bye. Have bye. a nice day.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Bye.